Well, good morning, everybody. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. Today is an amazing day. God's grace is amazing. Let's sing.
Well, good morning. We are here to worship the Lord today, uh, Jesus who laid down his life for us so that we could be set free. That's the gospel message in a few words. And so we're here to worship that God who loves us and cares so much for us. If you're a guest with us this morning, we just want to say welcome uh, to First Baptist. We're glad to have you with us here this morning. You'll notice there in the pew rack in front of you is a little white guest registration card. And that's just our mechanism to be able to connect with you and get to know you. At the conclusion of the service, if you take it up to your left as you're exiting the doors, uh, you'll see a welcome desk there, and our lead pastor will be there. Uh, he'd love the opportunity to get to meet you, and he's got a, a small gift for all first-time guests, and so uh, we'd love to be able to connect with you in that way. We're in a season of our Operation Christmas Child, and so uh, if you've not packed one of those boxes before, it's an amazing uh, thing to do. It's so fun to do with your children and we, we, we pack three every year and let our kids, you know, get one for somebody in their age. And, and those boxes are available right outside the bookstore, outside up to your left as well, across from the welcome desk. And um, it's a great way for you to be able to just share the gospel all around the globe. Literally, one of our favorite parts is to watch where that package goes, which country it ends up in. And to think that we had a small part of packing a box of, of love and goodness for a, a young child that has... Uh, probably nearly nothing, and we get to send the gospel across the globe. And so we've got a small video uh, for that this morning as well. And don't forget to stop by there. You can get boxes, uh, free boxes outside the bookstore. You can buy uh, the fancier plastic container inside the bookstore as well. So let's watch this video. Let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Operation Christmas Child is a way for the little children to come to Almighty God. That is the best gift of all, is becoming part of God's family. The mission of Operation Christmas never changes. Children are coming to Jesus. Children are being discipled. And children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These children were brave and bold, not afraid, and they're not ashamed of the gospel. They're trained and equipped to go out and share their faith with others. And many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now. Let them come. Jesus said, let them come. And they're coming. They're coming by the millions. Every single box represents the life of a young boy, a young girl, who will be touched by the gospel. Jesus has come to give them light, that they do not need to be in the darkness, that they have hope, that they have joy. And it is our prayer that this glorious light of the gospel will flow among the nations and will fill our land with the knowledge of the glory of God. The Lord God Almighty desires to fulfill his redemptive plan for mankind and is through each of us and all of us. All of us are children of God. We share this incredible opportunity to take the gospel truly to the ends of the earth by gathering children to Jesus. I believe this year for Operation Christmas Child, this may be the most important year, most important opportunity that we have ever had to reach 
Amen. Will you stand with us and let's, let's continue to worship together. Hear us from heaven. We're praying that the Lord will hear us as we worship him this morning.
desperate for you. We come before you for the very air that we breathe. Praying that you will fill our lungs. Let's sing this. You know this song. This is the air I breathe. That's it. This is the air I breathe.
Sometimes it feels like we can't breathe in this world. And so we look to you, Lord. You are the very breath that we need. Breath of fresh air. Lord, uh, so many times we come desperate to you, seeking some kind of answers for our questions. We're desperate for you for that. We're desperate to you for that. But we're also desperate to you for our salvation. And so, Lord, I pray today that uh, there will be people who reach out to you this, this day and they will be filled, filled to the, to, the, to the top because they have reached out for you and you are satisfying and you are filling and you are the air that we breathe. And it's for that we praise you, Lord. I pray you'll be with Dr. Cox right now as he brings your message. Open our ears and our hearts to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see you today on this dreary day. We're glad you're here. Came to church this morning. I'm glad to have, uh, let me add my welcome to those who are new. I met some new folks uh, this morning before our service. So glad you're here. If it's your first time at First Baptist Church, welcome to those of you who are worshiping with us online. Welcome. We're glad you're here. I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Titus. Titus is one of the letters of the New Testament, one of the pastoral letters. Paul wrote letters to Timothy and to Titus. We call them the pastoral letters. And I've been sharing a three-week sermon series through this letter to Titus. And there are three chapters. Today we're in the third and final chapter. Let me remind you what it's about or share with you if you're new. The theme of the book of Titus is do good. That phrase occurs eight times in these three little chapters. Do good. Uh, we've learned that uh, Crete, where Titus was stationed as Paul's missionary associate, was a tough place to do good. This book says that uh, Cretans were liars and they were evil and they were lazy and they were combative. And so uh, it's sort of like our world. We live in a not-so-good world. How can we do good in a not-so-good world. Well, chapter 1 was about doing good in church. The first thing that Paul wanted Titus to do in Crete was to establish and strengthen strong churches because God's plan to change the world for good is the local church. And if you want to do good, you need to get connected to and involved in the local church. It is God's agency for bringing about good in our world. Chapter 2, about doing good at home. And so we looked at family relationships and roles in the family. And you may not realize it, but just the way that you act in your family and as a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or a child, you have an impact on our world because it is through strong homes, Christian homes, that God changes the world. And that's what we saw in chapter 2. Today, in the third and final chapter, it's about doing good in the world. So this chapter is especially about how can, are we to relate to non-believers in your work, in your school, in the world in which you live, how do we relate? How can we do good? Philip Yancey has said Christians are like amphibians. You know what amphibians are, right? 
frogs, salamanders. They live in the water, but they don't breathe through the water. they got to come up for air. They're at home. They're comfortable there, but that's not really where they get their, their life from. It's from above and beyond there. We're amphibians. We're out there in the world, but we're not, we're not fish. We don't, we don't breathe that air. We are a part of something different. How do we relate in a non-Christian world? Well, that's what we're going to look at in chapter 3. Let's dive in. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, Paul tells us seven qualities that ought to characterize our interaction in the world. Seven qualities that ought to characterize our interaction with non-believers. Titus 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind the people, he says to Titus, to be, and here they are, subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good. There's our key phrase. We're going to see it three times in this chapter. Underline it in your Bible. There it is in, in verse 1. Be ready to do what is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Let me apply these seven words in uh, two different areas. <coughs> Excuse me. First of all, let me apply them to uh, our citizenship and politics, because it says right off the bat, be subject to or submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient or law-abiding, the message translates it. Uh, so this, first of all, applies to our citizenship and our political speech. Now, we're in, a, in an election cycle, got a, an election coming up in a couple of weeks, but it's an off year, it's not a presidential election, I find that every presidential cycle especially, our speech, our conversation about politics becomes more and more vicious. Don't you think so? I just think it's becoming, it's becoming more vile and more accusatory and, and angry and we're so divided. And so I want to prepare you for 2024. Got two years to let these words sink into you. And this is how we're to be somewhat right now in this election cycle, but it's not as big, I don't think, as in a presidential cycle. Uh, and so here's how we're to be with political speech. It says, be subject to rules and authorities, be obedient, law-abiding, ready to do whatever is good, don't just to be against everything, even with a government that you may not agree with, can you cooperate in some ways? Is there any common ground where you can do what is good? That's what he's saying to Titus on Crete. They didn't control the government. He's saying, be ready to do what is good. Slander no one. So, you see, I think in our uh, no insults, the, the Christian Standard Bible says. Uh, so, I think in our political speech, here's something we remember. I believe that Christians ought to take strong stands on issues and policies. But we can differentiate between people and policies. He says no insults uh, to slander no one. So I would encourage you in your political speech, and as we approach an election year, you don't ever compromise on issues, ideas, or policies, but you don't have to slander individuals. You see, ideas are not created equal. There are some bad ideas. There are some ideas and philosophies from hell, right? But all people are created in the image of God and are valuable. So all people are created equal. All ideas are not created equal. So don't slander anyone, he says. Be peaceable and considerate. Always be gentle 
toward everyone or courteous is the probably the most common translation in most new king james version and others are you courteous in your political speech so uh, there there's the first application how we're going to do good in a world don't compromise your principles ideas policies convictions you go hard on those but when it comes to individuals he says slander no one be peaceable consider always courteous toward everyone let me apply these seven words in a second area, and that is in your direct interaction with unbelievers, your personal interaction with unbelievers. So he says here, think of these words in that regard. Slander no one, be peaceable, consider it, always be gentle uh, toward everyone. Let me share with you an example from my own life when I didn't do these a couple of years ago. So about two years ago, I had a generator that wouldn't work and I took it to a guy in our community who has a shop shop owner and asked him to look at it and try to fix it and in the course of taking it apart to fix it he broke apart on my generator and he couldn't find a part for it so he just let it sit for months and he didn't call me and I finally called him and he said hey what's going on well I broke it while I was working on it couldn't find a part I'm not good on the internet I think you need to look for a part and I thought wait a minute now you broke it I gotta find the part for it so I got sort of ticked off at him. I'm just telling you the truth here now. I'm telling you, I was not peaceable, considerate, and gentle toward everyone. I thought, man, this, he didn't call me. He didn't fix it. Now I got a box of parts instead of a generator to take home. I wasn't courteous toward him. I didn't cuss at him. I just want you to know. <laughs> and it got to bothering me. And I had to call him and apologize to him. I hate doing that. <laughs> and what I really hate is when this stuff applies to me instead of just to you. <laughs> I, I would rather just preach it to you and doggone it, sometimes it applies to me. In your interaction with unbelievers, are you these seven qualities? Now, why are we supposed to be like that? Okay, the, the next part of the chapter tells us the foundation for our ethic. It tells us the rationale, the motivation, and the empowerment to, in our political speech and in our interaction with other unbelievers, to be obedient, ready to do whatever's good, slander no one, peaceable, consider always gentle toward everyone. And so, so Paul says to Titus, tell them to remember two things. These Christians at Crete who are having to live in the world as amphibians Tell them to remember two things. Number one, tell them to remember what you were like before you were saved. Remember what you were like before you were saved. Look at verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Do you know how you can be courteous toward foolish people? Remember that you used to be foolish. Okay? You know how you can be courteous and uh, not insult, disobedient, deceived, and people enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures? You remember that you used to be deceived and disobedient and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So Paul says, in order to enable them to live in this world and do good among non-believers, you remind them, you tell them to remember what they were like before they were saved. Before they were saved. And that enables you to identify with those people and be courteous uh, to them. 
Now, you might say, well, I wasn't that foolish before I was saved. You may be like me. I was saved when I was nine years old. And so I hadn't robbed a lot of banks or anything, you know, at that age. And that's what people say. I didn't rob a bank. I hadn't killed anybody. I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good person. That kind of thing. Let me, let me tell you something. An acorn is not like an oak, but an acorn has the same DNA in it as an oak. And left to itself, in the dirt, you put an acorn in the dirt, and it'll become an oak. I was saved when I was nine years old, and I hadn't committed all of the sins of the world, but the DNA was in there, and if I had been left in the dirt, I would have become that, and you would have too. So there's no room for self-righteousness in, in your life. Because the, the inner thoughts and the potential for foolishness, disobedience, being deceived and enslaved to all kinds of passions. When you meet somebody enslaved by all kinds of passions, you remember that could have been me just as easily as, as them. Because you are a sinner as much as they. This is why for, it's harder for moral people to come to Christ than it is for drunkards and prostitutes and people in jail. They get this pretty quickly that they were the foolish, disobedient, deceived. And some of you, I'm a pretty good person. You don't get that that same DNA in, is in you and you are more like them than unlike them. And so you've got to remember what you were like before you were saved. I thought we were supposed to forget all of our sins in our past. You forget the guilt. You're not under any guilt of that. But you never forget where you came from if you're going to be able to live this kind of life. Now the second thing that he tells them to, to remember and that we need to remember, if we're going to live this kind of life among unbelievers, remember what you were like before you were saved, and then remember how you were saved. Verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. You were saved, if you're a Christ follower, you were saved not because of righteous things you have done, but by the kindness and love of God that appeared to you. He saved you because of his mercy. And so you have no standing for spiritual pride. And he tells how you were saved. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he cleans you up. He washes you of sin. Baptism is the outward washing that signifies I have experienced an inward washing. And the Holy Spirit cleanses you and washes you. That's the first word he used. And then he says, he, re, he rebirths you, the washing of rebirth. You're born again. You're a new person. And the third word, you're renewed by the Holy Spirit. You're washed, rebirthed, and renewed by the Holy Spirit. God's going to make all things new, same word here, and you're the preview of that. You get a head start on that new creation that he makes. And he poured out on us generously, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, here's the result of your salvation, verse 7, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So you justified means you're right with God. When you believe in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and 
washes you and rebirths you and renews you, then you are right with God. No matter what you've done, you're, you're good with God. You're right with Him. And you are an heir. You inherit the hope of eternal life. All that belongs to God when you become His child becomes yours. You're going to inherit everything that is God's. And you inherit eternal life. What great verses about salvation right there, right? And you never forget how you were saved and what has happened to you. And let me say to you, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, this can happen to you today. If you'll put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit can cleanse you from whatever you've done in your life. He can give you a new start, a new birth. He can renew you by the Holy Spirit poured out generously on you. And the result will be that you're justified with God, you're right with Him, and you become an heir to everything that God has. That's a pretty good deal, right? What a wonderful gospel. So, he says in verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. I've tried to stress these things because it tells me to stress these things. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. There's the second occurrence in this chapter, the seventh in this little book of the phrase, doing what is good, underline it in your Bible. He says, if you remember what you were like before you were saved, and you remember how you were saved, then it will motivate you to devote yourself to do what is good. Are you devoted to doing what is good? What kind of ethic do you have? By that I mean, why do you do what's good and not do what's bad? You might say, well, I don't do bad so I don't get caught. That's why I don't drive 100 miles an hour driving to Murfreesboro. That's why I don't cheat on my algebra test. State patrols, teachers watching, I don't do that so I won't get caught. That's okay. That's a good ethic. That'll motivate you to do good some. That won't take you all the way. What if there's no danger of getting caught? You might say, well, I, 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 because of the law, my ethic is law and rules. I, you know, I, I, it's against the law. I'm not going to do it because it's against the law. That's good ethic. Most kids got rules. That's where we all start out with a law ethic, a rules ethic. That's not going to change your thoughts. What about your thought life and all that's within you? Why do you do what's good? The highest ethic, the best ethic, is an ethic of love and gratitude. I'll live for him who died for me. I will do good to him for him because he has done infinite good to me. And when you get that Jesus Christ has loved you and has died for you and has saved you through no righteous acts of your own, then you are motivated to go beyond what the law says or beyond what you might get caught doing to change the very core of your inner being to say, I want to please him. Because I could never do enough for the God who has saved me. I live for him who died for me. That's an attitude of gratitude and love that will go beyond any other. And that's what he says is you keep reminding them, stressing these things to those who have trusted in God so that they may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. That's the ethic that will motivate you in the tough times of life, living among non-believers, to be different and to follow Jesus.
Let's finish out this chapter. Verse 9, he says, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Don't just spend your time arguing with unbelievers or with people who are different than you. Just He says to avoid those that are not productive. Sometimes you have to stand for the truth, certainly. But avoid foolish controversies, arguments, quarrels about the law. These are unprofitable and useless. Verse 10, warn a divisive person once. The word divisive there is hereticos, a heretic, a person who is doctrinally divisive. Warn a, do- a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They're self-condemned. There's some influences you're just going to have to remove yourself from. They're, they're warped. They're unredeemable, and you just have to avoid. He says in verse 12, as he wraps up this letter, As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. So Paul is going to send Titus's replacement in Crete. Either Artemis or Tychicus, he's not sure yet which one he's going to send. And when I do, you're relieved, and you come to, they didn't travel and sea travel in winter. I'm going to winter in Nicopolis, and you come spend the winter with me there, and we'll get ready to go to another journey in the spring. Verse 13, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see have everything they need. These were doubtless the two that delivered this letter to Titus. They didn't have a post office you put a stamp on. Somebody had to take it. And these were those letter bearers who had come to Titus. And he says, now, after they've delivered the letter, you give them provisions and send them on their way. And verse 14, our people must learn to, here's the eighth and final occurrence of this phrase in the book of Titus, underline it in your Bible, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Are you living a life of doing what is good in your church, in your home, in the world? Have you devoted yourself not just to not doing the bad, but are you doing what is good? You know how you can do that? Jesus Christ can enable you to live a good life. He can change you. He can cleanse you. He can motivate you. He can empower you to live beyond your own strength and resources that led you to a foolish and disobedient life. Would you come to him? If you've already come to him, would you just think right now about what you were like before you were saved and how you were saved, that out of gratitude and love, you may live a good life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, for those who are already Christ followers, living as amphibians in a world in which they don't totally belong, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to exhibit these seven qualities in our lives, that the gospel might be attractive and others might be pointed to you. Father, for those who have not yet become followers of Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would receive this wonderful offer of grace and allow your spirit to cleanse them and rebirth them and renew them that they might be right with God and heirs of all that you possess. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song. It's our song of commitment. Maybe where you stand, you need to speak to God about your own life and
how you're living, maybe you want to come and receive Jesus as Savior. You can walk forward in this service. Meet me here at the front. There'll be a decision counselor here. We'll answer any questions. We'll pray with you if you need to, or we'll just rejoice with you. And uh, we can prepare for your baptism next month. Maybe you want to join our church. You can walk forward while we're singing. Join our church. We'd be uh, honored to welcome you. Come for prayer, whatever God wants to do in your life. Let's sing together.
seated for just a moment, if you will. And uh, Teresa Hall is a member of our lead pastor search team. And where's Teresa? Is she here? She is? Is she in here? Okay, so uh, Mark, you want to say anything? You want me to just say it real quick? What do you, okay, somebody else come share with us. I can thank you. I can journey again. Member of this team as well. Yep, okay, um, so we just wanted to, there's Miss Teresa, if she <laughs> wants to share. Um, we had these printed, Miss Teresa had these printed, just as a good reminder, you could put them anywhere in your house um, to remember to pray for us. There you go. Good job. So sorry, I said y'all might be finishing a little early. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's been said, but so, so let it. me just say. Hold oh, it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't heard, and if you haven't, I guess you're either visiting or you've been living under a rock. <laughs> Dr. Cox is fixing to retire. And we are going to really miss him. But we have, or the church council, has had the foresight to think that we needed to look for a new pastor. I want to tell you a short story. I was here before the Coxes came. And... You know, the church was praying. We needed, a, we needed a pastor. We needed a shepherd. We needed a good leader. But at the time, I had small children, and I was concerned about a pastor, but I had a, a son that um, didn't have a good friend. And I began praying that he would have a good Christian friend, somebody who was, uh, parents were like-minded like us, that... Um, would be able to be somebody that he could play with, that we wouldn't have to worry about things that were being said or what were being watched on TV. And God brought the Coxes. I did not know that when they brought us this wonderful pastor, they were going to be bringing my son, his best friend. And I just, God hears and answers prayer. Amen. And I believe in prayer so much. But, you know, this process has been hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's just a tough process. And there was a man that came to Jesus one time, and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. I do believe God is going to be with us in this process. I believe God has been with us in this process. When we put, out these, we put these out in your bulletin, we want you to fold them in half, take them home, set them someplace where you will remember to pray. I didn't put what to pray for because they're the, it's, it's limitless what you could pray for. Pray for the Coxes. They're fixing to start a totally different life. What, what's God want them to do now? Where are they, what are they going to do? Pray for the pastor that's coming. If he has children, what kind of family, you know, to upheave your family and to move to a place. Pray for our search committee. As I said, this has been a tough process. There's been... Nights when, you know, you, you, you turn it over to God, but there's just been nights that you wake up and you just, questions go through your mind. Pray for the staff. They're fixing to get a new boss. You know, that seems like nothing, but think about it. What if it was your job? Would you be concerned if you were getting a new boss? You would. It just goes on and on and on. Pray for unity for this church, that we won't let the devil step in that we won't let him divide us on any issues of this. 
The list goes on and on and on. Whatever God brings to mind, when you see this card, we ask that you put it up and that you pray about that because this is, so, I, I need a shepherd. I need somebody to stand up here to hold me to the fire, to, to rightly divide the word of truth. I feel like you probably need that too. And we want God's man more than anything. That's what we want for our church. We want our church to be able to continue to grow and do well. Thank you so very much for your prayers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's me. Well, uh, thank you for being here. I hope that you've been blessed by our time of worship. I want to remind you of a couple things. One, you can continue on worship and giving. There's a boxes on the back wall there as an act of worship. Also, um, we have trunk or treat going on tomorrow night, Halloween. Uh, we'll be out in the parking lot. Uh, we could still use candy, and we could still use some folks to... Uh, to use their cars to hand out the candy. So if you are interested in being in a trunk, uh, you can sign up at the Welcome Center, uh, and we would appreciate that help. As our goal is 50, and we're, we're, we're inching there, but we still need a few more, and uh, we'll have a great uh, time tomorrow night. Also, the Women's Conference is coming up on November 5th. That's next uh, Saturday. Uh, the, the, I think the registration is actually closed online, but if you're still interested in being a part of that, you can talk to Bunny Woods or Tammy Jernigan, and they can uh, help you out on, on being a part of that. So that's going to be a great uh, day of prayer, simulcast with Jim Wilkins uh, next Saturday um, here at the gym. So uh, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you give us guidance to, to do good in this world, to help other people know who you are, God. So I pray that you would help us to be these things as we interact with the people uh, uh, that, that you love as much as you loved us, God, and remind us of where we've come from and, and where we're going because of you, God, and help us to uh, invite others in to that uh, love that you have for them um, and the relationship with you, God, through the gospel and what Jesus has done. Uh, God, we ask your blessings on uh, the, the future of the church and the, the transition and uh, new pastor and a new era for this church. God, we know that you are uh, in control and uh, through the twists and turns, uh, you have something for your people, God. So just guide us, uh, help us to remember to pray, and um, we thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am chosen, not forsaken.